I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Today's episode of From the Rose Garden is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Rip City. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Rose Garden. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined again by my guys, Sean Hyken and Danny Morang, as we do part two of our Blazers report card for this season. Want to jump right in because we have got a lot to talk about, especially in the second half uh, of this show. Uh, Rodney Hood, guys, uh, was fantastic. Do we do we knock his grade because he tore his Achilles? Of course not. Um, hey, best three point shooting season of his career. Very kind of low volume, but um, I think there was actually some room for an uptick. Forty nine percent on the season. I mean, only twenty one games, but still uh, pretty good. And, and they definitely missed him when he was gone. Like well, the the insane part here is that. A quarter of the way into the season, Hood's still on decent volume, shooting 50% from three and the floor. And it was just like, this has got to fall off at some point in time, right? And again, we, we, we talked about, obviously, in the last show, the grading on a curve in Portland for wing play. Rodney Hood single-handedly won Portland a, a playoff game on the road in Denver last year. So, like, the expectation of what he could do for them, it was certainly there. But you look at the uptick on three-point shooting, competent wing play, and you're sitting here like, yeah. I, I, honestly, if we're talking about Rodney Hood getting graded, he was probably running at an at a solid A in in the first semester, right? Like, and then you know he 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 goes down, and that was kind of the end of I think Portland's real run to the season. So I'm giving him an A slash incomplete. Like he has to come back and, you know, finish that second semester kind of a deal. Um, but like, I don't think you could have gotten better play for what they were expecting. And this is on top of them bringing Rodney back for the MLE. Like nobody, nobody foresaw this coming. I was down in uh, Mexico during free agency proposing to my then girlfriend who the next day was the opening of, of the, the free agency process. And I got a text saying that Rodney was going to take the MLE. And I don't remember ever being so excited about a Portland Trailblazer taking an MLE because I never in a million years thought he, that that would be the going rate for him. And to have it end in such a way was really crappy. But I, I don't think you could find a better player to fit in that role than what Rodney Hood was doing when he went down. Like I, I just, outside of paying, you know, near max money for one of the young kids up and going, I just don't think you were going to find a better fit at the, again, at that pay rate. Yeah. I also have to go with the a slash incomplete because yeah, he was having a career year. 
And that's coming off, you know, what he was able to do in the playoffs last year, especially in that Denver series. And just to see it, it cut short the way it was, because, you know, he was, you know, he was probably their third most important player that first month mm-hmm. of the season after Tame and CJ. And, you know, he was, you know, he was shooting incredibly well, you know, he, every, everything about it was just like, this was exactly what, you know, he, he was providing exactly what they needed him to provide. And then just, you know, he had, you know, this horrible injury. Now I'm interested to see what he looks like next year, because I talked to him, you know, he started, he started being around the team mm-hmm. maybe in like the middle of January. And then by the last, the last time I saw him was, uh, the last game that, they let us in the locker room before they started doing the new media distancing rules because of the coronavirus. So I think it was that Sacramento game, like the week before they suspended the season and he was completely out of the walking boot by then. And I was talking to him and he said that he expects to be ready to go by training camp. Now we'll see if that's true because I mean, it's torn Achilles and you know, uh, some guys like like Rudy Gay was basically fine. But other than that, like it's 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 a pretty tough injury to expect somebody to come back from. But, you know, Rodney Hood is not like a guy who's really that reliant on his athleticism. So if the shot is still there, then I think he might still be able to be effective. Yeah. And, and any any delay in the start of the next season makes it more likely that he's, you know, at least closer to game ready. Right. There's that, too. I think that, you know, there's I, I, I would be no matter whether they have a season this year or not, like the rest of the season which I think they won't, but I would also be surprised if they start next season in October, like they normally would. Yeah. Uh, so what grade did you give him? I'm kind of, I'm with Dan. I was like a, for when he played, but incomplete for overall, just because he got hurt so early in the season. Yeah. I, I tend to agree. I, I thought he was fantastic and it was very clear right away that they missed him, you know, losing that production just kind of sunk their season. He was their glue between the first and second unit. Mm-hmm. Like when Dame or CJ, one of those guys went out, you had Rodney on the floor to kind of smooth things over. And again, we talk about grading on a curve in Portland as a wing player. Like he did every, he was uh, not, I mean, not a plus defender, but he was certainly more than passable. He could create off the bounce. He could work in the mid post. He was clearly killing it from three and he could take over a core if you needed him to. Like, I, I, I don't think you could ask for more from a guy there. All right. Next up, Scal Abissier. He was traded to Sacramento in the Trevor Ariza trade. Um, played 33 games, though. Not nothing special. He had, he had a couple of games uh, stretch that I thought he was pretty good when, mm-hmm. when Hassan was out. Um, but other than that, that flash didn't see much. I, I'd probably just give him a C, C minus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, 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 that's, I was going to go C plus. Um, the thing that I think that I thought Scal did this year is that he showed that he's a, a, especially as he continues to grow, he's still a kid. He's only 23. Like if he's healthy, he comes back from this knee injury. He's a very capable backup big in today's NBA. He moves incredibly well. He started showing that he can knock down some outside shot. Um, I mean, when you look at his volume, obviously wasn't there, but he was working in the peck and pop really well. He's finishing at the rim. He was, when Hassan, actually, hell, even when Hassan was healthy, Scal was the best screen setter the Blazers had on their active roster without, with, with, uh, with Nurk down. And you could see when he started to develop a little bit of relationship with some of the guys that he was able to effectively help the offense by getting Dame and CJ free and in ways that they weren't getting with Hassan. So uh, I'm going to give him a C plus. I, I was actually pretty bummed that they, uh, they had to move him out to, uh, you know, kind of get under that first rung of the luxury tax. So it wasn't so punitive going forward. 
Yeah. And then they, you know, they, and then they had, you know, then they obviously, he had the knee injury that basically mm-hmm. cut short his season too, which, uh, I think I think they probably wouldn't even with the luxury tax. I think they probably wouldn't have moved him if he was healthy because he was starting to kind of turn it around a little bit. You know, he kind of had those. You know, there were a couple of games like especially he kind of got that mid range game going a little bit, and he really you know he kept them afloat for a couple of those games when Whiteside was out. I I don't know. I thought I thought he showed some promise, and I still think he might have a future in the league. But yeah, I just it was it was just given between the injury and the luxury tax situation, it was just kind of it made the most sense to move him. Yeah, his future in the league is very much going to depend on him bulking up a little bit, being able to play the five full time. I think mm-hmm. that's where he can he can provide extra value. It's just you know, can he do that with his frame, and you know, will he get an opportunity to do it? I mean, he's back in Sacramento, and it didn't go great the first time. Uh, next up, okay. Now, someone told me they had Damian Lillard on their MVP ballot, and I don't agree with that because I don't think you can put a guy on your MVP ballot if they're not in the playoffs. With that being said, if you were ever going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know what more you could ask for a guy as like the friend as like a I number mean, one franchise guy. Like I just what what more could you do than what Dame was doing? This yeah, time? 29 a game. On this team, I mean, like, you know, you know, you have to load up on Dame mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing against him and he's still was putting up 29. What was that insane stretch he had? It was like, it was 50, like a video game. Points for like two whole weeks. Yeah. yeah he, he had a six-week stretch that he wasn't just the best player in Portland. He was the best player in the NBA. Yes. It was, it, I, he I ended, know, I, he was, ended a franchise last year in the playoffs. Everyone knows he's coming, and somehow he still shot 40% from three. It's, and most of those off the dribble. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is that he's he's seeing two and he's shooting from 30 plus feet like every year. Damian Lillard has been here every year that I have covered him. I'm always like, I wonder if he can add something more. And it was it was about the fourth or fifth year where I was like, holy hell, he's legitimately adding more to his game every year in a facet that I've never seen. And that six week stretch is the most dominant stretch probably statistically, not probably, it is the most dominant six-week stretch in Trailblazers history. I, I, I've never seen anything like that. The closest thing that I've seen in my lifetime where a single player has been that unstoppable was Kobe. It, it was in a time period of the oh, year. Six. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Like, and it was almost the same. Like, if you look at the dates, it's almost like the same six week stretch. Like, it, it, like as far as like when they were doing it, turning the calendar, just coming out. And actually, one of those games was here in Portland where Kobe absolutely cooked Portland. And what Dane has done and continues to do, he has put himself in Portland where he's the second best player in the franchise's history behind Clyde, in my opinion. And wrong. It, listen, he's better. You got to get to the spot. I know Clyde had better help, but in my opinion, you've got to get to that. But here's the thing. I don't think if you think that, that, that Dame is that guy, that you're inherently wrong or crazy. Like he has put himself in that position where it, it's nowhere near ridiculous or even, you know, pushy to say that he's the best player this franchise has ever had. That stretch that he had, you know, he did what uh, essentially what Steph Curry did. Mm hmm. But Steph did it for an entire season with help. Yeah. With Dame, Dame, Dame didn't have any help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. I mean, he he gets an A plus. A plus. There's not he's, really a lot to talk about. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's plenty to talk about, but it would just be us, you know, effusing praise. Like, <laughs> after after, a, after one of those games, I one of those fifty point games, Stotts goes to the podium and he's like, "Guys, don't ask me about Dame. I don't even really have anything else to say about yeah, him." And I, I've got, I, that's kind of where we are. Yeah. It, I mean, it's when when a, when an NBA head coach is telling you, "Listen, man, like I don't." He just does this. Yeah, like that's when that's when you know you're like you're dealing with a Hall of Fame caliber player. Next up, all right, you guys are gonna take it easy on my guy here, Nasir Little. Oh, for sure. Well, sure, those. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, all right. About that. Now, you, we we mentioned when we talked about Carmelo, we mentioned Nasir having to start for a little bit. Started five games. I actually thought he did pretty well as an undersized power forward. Mm-hmm. Brought a lot of energy. A little bit of Gerald Wallace. Yep. That's exactly the name that I've been thinking about. He just kind of has decided that his lane in the NBA is going to be the guy who just throws his body around everywhere and just does all the dirty work. And the thing you have to keep in mind with Nasir is they Blazers never play rookies. Like they had, to, you know, when they drafted him, it was, you know, it was going to be just like, you know, last season, Anthony Simons and Gary Trent Jr. barely played the whole year. And then this year they come in and they're in their contributors. The plan with Nasir was they were going to draft him, and he was like a guy that they saw as a lottery talent who fell further than he maybe should have in the draft because he didn't have a great year at Carolina. But the idea with him was they have enough wing depth. He's like not going to, he's barely going to play his rookie year. And he was basically in a red shirt this year and just get ready and, you know, do what Simons and Trent did last year and just kind of develop and practice and get better and then be able to contribute maybe next season. And then, you know, a month into the season, they force him to start because they just don't have any bodies. And obviously, like, he made some rookie mistakes. Like, and, you know, the thing about the NBA is, like, most rookies are bad. And he, you know, he definitely, for the most part, had his moments where, you know, he's still feeling his way out, getting adjusted to the physicality. But considering the circumstances, I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. Like, if I, you know, if we're grading on a curve, I would probably go B, B minus. Like, he, you know, he, he did as much as you could expect of a guy who is 19 and, like, was barely expected to play at all. Yeah, I mean, Portland looked at, at Nasir. I mean, they were looking for shooting in the draft, but they had Nasir as a as a lottery pick on their board. And when he was there, they went completely another way. And they're like, "Hey, I mean, this is we're we're going for the best you know talent available right now, and that's kind of what we need. And hell, we need wing help." And Nas, I, I love the kid. Uh, we had him on the show coming into the season, and like I had never interacted with him before that. And like as a dude. He gets it. Like he 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 understands like what he needs to do, how he needs to go about things, and you could see that kind of translate through the season where he was a sponge, man. And he even if he, if he, when he made a mistake, you could see him like somebody would come over talk him, nodding his head, okay, pointing, okay, I, I get what you're saying. I, I messed up here. I'm trying to get work here, and he just there are guys who look like it's too the moment's too big for them and they shy away from it. But even if he was making a mistake. He was that rare rookie who made that mistake at 100%. You know, if he's going to blow an assignment, man, he's going to he's going to blow it by really like going after a loose ball. Like going out and trying to make something trying happen. too hard. Yeah, and, and listen, I I'm okay with that if you're going to be that guy. Like cuz you're going to make mistakes as a young kid. That's just it's just going to happen. But like you said, the Gerald Wallace comparison, when you watch him play, he has zero regard for his body. Zero. Yeah. He throws it Everywhere, and that's a hell of an endearing quality as a fan. As you're watching these guys, and he he in Portland, he's already got a little bit of a cult following. 
Yeah, now, the, but the, it's also a great reason to keep Carmelo around to remind these guys that it's an 82 game season. Yes, you got to. You, <laughs> you do have to find a way to pace yourself. Yeah, but here's here's where uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give Nas a B minus. It was it was you you got more than you ever expected out of him. You you literally started him in, in games where you didn't expect he was going to play this season. But the reason he fell on the draft was because his three point shot at North Carolina was it was bad. By the way, it looks better. It, it, looks it improved tremendously it, better. <laughs> it, it wasn't going in all year. He had a stretch there where he was hitting shots. Shooting with confidence is is the biggest thing for him, I think. Um, but the shot itself looks much improved, and and now it's just going to be about getting that volume up. You know, even if he's only hitting twenty five percent, which he shot below that this year. You know, if he's taking three or four a game, that's still a good. That's a it's a positive movement. He's uh, trending for the upwards. Future. Yes, that's yeah. the thing. Everything, when you look at Nasir Little on the floor, everything about him, and it's not just because he's young, it's just about how he goes about the game. Everything that he did was trending upwards, even if he made mistakes, even if he had a rough night shooting. The effort was always there. The intensity was always there. The the ability to communicate and be a listener. You could, and everybody you, you talk to about now is also the same thing. He wants to get after. He's he he wants to to kind of take everything in. So I, I'm excited about him. What he's got going for. I'm going to give him a B minus in the season. Yeah, yeah, it I, might I be like a. It might be like a. What was the line about Bruno Caboclo when they drafted him the two years? Two years, two years. Yeah, but you could just like, and especially be, between you know, a what you know, we've all seen that his work ethic is, and b just the Blazers' just general track record when it comes to player development. If you look yeah. at a bunch of different guys over the years, like it felt like you know, I think they, I think they're going to have a rotation player whenever you know he does put it all together. Yeah, I think I agree with you guys. Uh, B minus, eh, I'll give him a B. Give him a flat B. I think it was pretty good. I can go with it. All right. Now, I think this one might be controversial. Uh, CJ McCollum. Uh, his best stretch of the season was when Damian Lillard was out. Mm-hmm. That was when he started doing the things that he really needs to figure out how to do when he's playing with Damian Lillard. That's the missing ingredient yeah. for this team. I mean, so I don't dislike CJ McCollum. That's never been a thing. I always have to feel like I have to qualify this because so many. That's a great way to start this. uh, I know, but here, here's the thing, and because I always have to like preface it because people take the fact that I don't think that Damon CJ work together as somehow like this idea that CJ is a bad player. You you saw CJ with Damon on the floor. CJ is a phenomenal player. It's why I've always said he should really be a point guard on another team. He should be running an offense as the one. That's more what he is than as working off ball as a two. He needs the ball in his hands a little bit more. I mean, hell, as a playmaker, he was averaging 10 assists a game. Like, that's what, what he's done in his career is about two, what is it, two and a half, three a game? And now he's 10, 11, 12 a night, like just carving dudes up. And it's in a different way that Dane goes about it. And I think that's where you kind of get the gears not quite fitting together. He started off the season pretty poorly, too. He he did not have any real breakout games, and I know things were sideways. And he's coming off that game seven, and then the the, uh, the Western Conference semis against the Nuggets, where he just went bananas. Uh, listen, like all those things are all true, but if we're talking about a guy who is supposed to be the second best player, is being paid like a top twenty, top fifteen player in the league, I, I'm going to give him a C. Uh, there were times where he disappeared for weeks on end and was just kind of there. And when you're paid like that and you're, the expectations are much higher 
you need to be a guy that is a force on one end or the other, or preferably both. And there were nights where you just look at the box score and you're like, why does, why does CJ having another so-so night? And it's just, I think this season, it doesn't reflect great on the whole Dame CJ backcourt, but I don't think it also condemns it. So ah, again, while I don't think the fit is great and I think it, it's not going to be a championship quality, it's also pretty damn good. And you saw the effectiveness of CJ McCollum when he is fully unleashed. But like you said, Dave, the whole idea of marrying those two and getting those guys to at least be, if they can't be the best versions of themselves together, being the, the most capable versions of themselves together has to be the goal. And I just haven't seen that come together yet. And I think a lot of that falls on CJ. And so, like I said, I'm just going to give him a C. I think there's something to be said, though, for just how for the redundancy of the two of them, just because, you know, you, you have that stretch where Dame had the groin injury and he was out for a few weeks. And then CJ went off like you. They basically didn't have to change the way that they played because CJ can basically do, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the things that Dame can do. And so I, I don't know. I I feel like they've had enough success over the years that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of not in the same camp as you are, Dan, about, you know, thinking that the Dame CJ thing doesn't work together. Like, I think they need to have different you know, complimentary pieces around them. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of see what that is going to be just because the last couple of years, it was sort of mismatched. And this year there were just so many injuries, but I'm a little bit higher on the idea of Damon CJ being able to work together long-term than you are, but this was definitely not CJ's best year. So I think, you know, C plus B minus is probably still is probably where I'd be. By the way, I realized that this is so like feels very nitpicky when you're talking about a guy who scored 22 points a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But the truth is that the the expectations are different when you're on a max contract and when you're on a team that has been a perennial playoff team and you've got a Damian Lillard. Like you have a one. You have a number one guy. This is actually you know what? It's very similar to Chris Middleton. Mm -hmm. Where Chris Middleton was not seen as good enough to play next to Giannis. It was like, oh, you got to get more than Chris Middleton until this year. And then Chris Middleton put up an all NBA season. Yeah. He was a what? A and top, he was top eight player in the league. <laughs> yeah. And he was actually fantastic <laughs> last year too. It just, it takes people, you know, it takes the media and, and fans a year to catch up mm -hmm. and they still haven't caught up to Chris Middleton. Well, but CJ, CJ also didn't just do that. had that really rough start to the season. Like, Absolutely. He, like, like he, he ended up putting it together, you know, in, in terms of, you know, getting his shot back where it needed to be with that first couple of weeks were pretty rough. And then that's, that's, that's the thing is like, you're, you're going to grade Dame CJ, like anytime you talk about CJ, it's always going to be Dame CJ. It's never going to be just CJ. Dame is always going to be about Dame. And it's not, I'm not saying Dame is all about himself, but I'm talking about the perception. You can say Damian Lillard without saying CJ McCollum. You cannot say CJ McCollum without saying Dame and CJ. That is the perception. They are a, a package when you're talking about him. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, like, like as you talked about, Dave, they have not found a way to elevate CJ to where it's about him entirely in the same way that Middleton is now. It's not Giannis and Middleton. It's Middleton. He is that dude. And until that happens, you're going to look at this, or at least I am, as CJ not necessarily not living up to expectations of him, but expectations of what the franchise needs him to be in order to be the, like the best versions of themselves. All right. Okay. Hypothetical. You guys are individually the GM of the 
Portland Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. What's the first call you're making? Who are you calling for CJ? I, I mean, I'm assuming both of you guys would trade CJ. I, I, I've, I've tried to trade him for four years. I, I know. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't not trade. Like, nobody on the roster is untouchable except for Dane. But I, I'm not like lining up to give CJ away, or like to or not, 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 not even give him away. But like, well, I'm not, theoretically, like, he should get you something good in return. He should, he should, and I think they should pull the trigger on that if they get something that is worth it. I don't. I just, it's, it's hard to gauge what that would be because I think could you get John Isaac and Ooh. and salary? The the one I like that I, that I like the money. I, the money is yeah. the hard part there. The the one that I've looked at there is is Isaac and Fournier. Is that enough to get it done? Yeah, it's money-wise. Mm. Portland, Portland probably needs to include somebody with CJ. Like um, Zach Collins? I, they, they, yeah, I don't, I don't think they do that. I don't think they go that far. That's insane. They should trade Zach Collins. If you can get John Isaac, oh my God. Well, I mean, don't listen. I mean, you're, you're talking about my proverbial, you know, defensive wet dream right there. I, I love Isaac. I, I had him rated, I think it's number two coming out of that class. So, uh, yeah. So before the season, <laughs> I, I, I thought he was going to be all NBA first team, which he was playing that. that he was, yes. Yeah, he was tracking that way. Um, but I thought he had an outside chance for defensive player of the year, depending on how they performed. Um, and, and man, I think he, he might wind up being the most special defender in NBA history. He's got a defensive player of the year pedigree. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like, if we're talking about trading CJ for somebody like that's the kind of upswing I think you would talk about the one that I heard Boston was kicking around CJ for Jalen. Yes. This is pre Kemba Walker. Yes. And then coming into this season, I heard that they were knocking on the door again. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but well, that just doesn't make any sense unless you're going to deal Kemba, which yeah, yeah. Again, this this just the, the 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 wheels in my head were always like Jalen Brown. What about what about uh, San Antonio? The whole swapping for Demar thing, getting a little bit bigger. Maybe I, not Demar, but but what about for Lamarcus and you know uh, one of the young guys? Maybe maybe Dejounte. I mean, it would it would definitely you know cause Portland to change how they play, for sure. But like I, I'm not against reuniting Damon Lamarcus. That's for damn sure. Um, I don't think it should take CJ to do that though. And that's the thing is like the only I, I, I'm a Lowry guy, so I've I've been trying to find a way to get Lowry from out of Chicago to Portland for God knows how long now. Uh, I'm well aware of this. <laughs> And like CJ's too much, but like I, I'd almost be open to the idea of like Levine and Lowry for CJ and one of the kids. Like I, and I just I don't know if I can talk myself into that, but it would it would actually save Portland money. You get younger, you get more athletic, and you get bigger. And it was just one of those things where like you look at what Portland like what they're kind of dealing with right now. They have an older team. That's not very big that when you on an NBA scale is not hyper athletic. It's like, you know, that's, those aren't bad things to consider when you, when you start looking at it, like, and if you look at Levine's season up against CJ's again, I know it's not the same when you're talking about where each team was, but production wise, Levine's four years younger than CJ. Their numbers are almost identical this year. And you get them on a cheaper deal four years younger, and you're just kind of like, huh, 
and he's bigger and more athletic. So it's, it's, <sighs> that's, that's, a, that's an interesting, but also that you, you know, you're, you're reuniting CJ with your boy, Kobe. This is true. Again, a, a, a Kobe White, CJ McCollum backcourt would be would be very fun to watch too. It would be, fun, def- it'd be fun to watch, a defensive but it would also nightmare. Be kind of redundant though, wouldn't it? In, this, in a lot of the same ways that the CJ Dame thing is, except with well, the lower ceiling. Again, but that would be Chicago's problem now. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, the 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 idea of Levine in Portland is actually kind of interesting, but you know, he I I still don't know whether he's a, you know a good stats bad team guy or whether he's actually a guy who's going to. Contribute to a winning yes. team, but I think that putting him next to Dame is like it. I think he does complement Dame well, and if you give him a kind of that role where he, you know, is playing more off the ball, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up, and I'm sure this won't be controversial at all. <laughs> sure, it's not going to be bad. I'm sure I'm not about to be canceled from ever being able to come to Portland. When I give my opinion on Anthony Simons. Oh, boy. Well, you're going to get be canceled by people on this podcast because I'm, I'm prepared for Dan to give him an A plus here. <laughs> oh, Dan, Dan is for sure. Like, listen, Dan probably doesn't even need to talk uh, because Dan's on, I, Dan's on the Anthony Simons is like a future all NBA. The, the Anthony I, Simons yeah. defender has been on this call the entire time. It, it's, and I, I'm going to tell you right now. OK, listen, Anthony Simons had a nice stretch where it looked like, you know what? You can't trade him. You can trade CJ, you've got a replacement. And he has these flashes. The problem is, outside of that stretch, he looked like the worst player in the NBA. <sighs> okay. And so... he's 20, right? I get it. He's <sighs> young. Yes. But oh my God. When he was bad, he was awful. Yeah. It uh, was great. Terrible. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you're not going to give him an A plus. No, I'm not. Uh, and it's 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 no secret. Ant's my guy. Uh, I love the kid. Uh, Seems like a sweetheart. On and off the court, fantastic dude. <clears throat> Here's the thing, and this this is my conspiracy here. Ant was playing well until the injuries, and Carmelo Anthony showed up. And this is not a shot at Melo. This is. Ant's world got kind of turned upside down as far as like what his role was going to be and what was expected of him. And all of a sudden he got knocked down the pecking order pretty significantly. And I think it took him probably about six to eight weeks to figure it out, like how to play, where to be. And that's where you're talking about that, that stretch where he just didn't look good. And if if you look at, if you go look at the splits when Carmelo Anthony arrived, and you just look pre and post, Ant's numbers go bonkers bad. And it, it, it wasn't really until probably late January, early February, where it started like he started to come back to earth a little bit. And I, I definitely think Ant, when, it all, when it's all said and done, is a ready-made C.J. McCollum replacement. I think that he's got an elite skill package when it comes to shot creation. I would put his his ability to create space and get a shot off up there with just about anybody in the league. It, it's that good. Um, but putting it all together, like he, his ability to finish in, at the rim at times goes from unbelievable to what the hell was that? But again, you're dealing with a 20-year-old kid. The biggest issue that I think he's going to have is that he was bad defensively. And I, you know, I talked to a couple of his coaches and, and the idea of, what he has to do 
on that end. And I think towards the end of the season, even he's told me this, it took him a little while this season to figure out the ins and outs of being counted upon in the NBA night in, night out. The work necessary, the, 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 the preparation, the film study, getting shots up late at night, making sure your body's right. Like those are the things I think that every young player has to learn. Like, how do you do this? This isn't hell. And he wasn't even a guy who went to college who, you know, had to deal with the, the rigors of a, what, a 36 game schedule. You know, he was at IMG. So he didn't even have that little barrier to kind of work through. So again, I'm, I'm going to give him a C. I, I, I definitely think the expectations were there. And the first probably month of the season, he was looking like a 13, 14 point a game guy. Like a, a, a real microwave off the bench uh-huh. who who was going to give you, you know, shoot probably 45, 38 from the floor and create it all at multiple levels. Yeah. Put put up 14, give up 24 on the other end. <laughs> that was the thing is the defensive end was bad. And then he he stopped being able to shoot. And it, it, it was it was definitely difficult to watch. But again, I still believe in him going forward. Yeah, I I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you on believing in him going forward. I think there's going to come a time when he's going to you know, be a nice player, maybe even able to start at some point. But just on the basis of this season, you have to look at, you know, most of the season, he was one of the worst players in the NBA. I'm going to have I'm going to have to give him like a D just 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 for the just for this season. Like if we're grading it just off of this season, if we're grading it on future potential, then maybe he'll be a little higher. But for this season, like you, you have to you can't ignore like what what the reality was. Yeah, he was off. I can ignore whatever I want. <laughs> I know you. I know you. By the way, I know you. By the way, you I, are. That's great, and that's great. Here, no, I, I, res- I respect the commitment to the brand. His his uh, his box plus minus his offensive box plus minus was worse than his defensive box plus minus, right? And his defense is awful. To be fair, he was running a second unit that consisted of him, Gary Trent, Mario Hazonia, Jalen Horde, and uh, Nasir Little. Yeah, so he had Nasir Little and Mario Hazonia. <laughs> <laughs> there, the the lack of movement, shot creation, and uh, consistency on both ends of the floor were pretty pretty bad. Pretty good. I, listen, I don't I don't think he's I don't think he's the player that he was when he was at his worst. I don't think that you know you can't judge a player by his worst performance, just like you can't ju- judge him by his best. But overall, I mean, I think uh, D plus C minus is about what we ought to give him. It it wasn't great. Second year, he didn't play a ton his first year. Growing pains. He's he's so skinny that I think that you have to take that into account as well. Um, He needs to develop his body. Hopefully, hopefully he's eating a lot during this quarantine. Yeah, we we did have him on last week. That's actually one thing he didn't see. Yeah. The so. man, the man is light in the in the ass, as I like to say. Yes, uh, I mean, he, he came in the league at a buck eighty. So yeah, what no get, bull? He needs to get in the Andre Miller school of. Uh, he's not a buck eighty now. No, he is. You gotta remember, no he, way. He's six five. You yeah. remember, he, he is. He's six five, a buck sixty five. Nah, he's 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 a buck eighty five, buck ninety now. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Simons had. Had flashes, but was overall one of the worst players in the league. Just want that on the record. <laughs> That's Dave DeFore that said that. I, yeah. I'm, I will take whatever you're bringing. All right. Uh, Biggie, Caleb Swanigan, the big return. Did, he, did, he, did they make a welcome, uh, a welcome home video from him for him when he showed back up? I don't, 
I don't, I don't think so. No, they didn't. Don't think he's a Trailblazers legend. Hey, Biggie, Biggie's got some cult followers. That's a, that's for sure. He uh, he went to Sacramento and and things did not go well for him. No, at all. Yeah, but he reinvented himself here and made himself an energy guy. And he's talked about it a little bit here or there uh, about how he just like, you know, the realization that if I want to stay in the league, I need to be that guy. And he's a capable backup big. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a C. I, I love him. I, I think you and I talked about this uh, when he was a rookie at Summer League. Um, he talks a lot like on defense. Yes. And I love that. And, and you know, he's a bigger guy. And, and I just like how he moves. He, like, not, he still moves like, pretty yes. well. Yeah, not, not light in the ass in the slightest. No, yeah. could stand to maybe be a little bit lighter in the ass. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, Anthony Simons is is eating all of Swanigan's food during the quarantine. No, yeah, um, I think I think a C is probably about appropriate. Yeah, him. he's he like looks, what third or fourth big. Yeah, and he yeah. Lo- he look he looks better than he looked a his first time here and b in Sacramento. But you know, yeah, third or fourth big that's basically a ceiling to me at this. Yeah, point. Um, Anthony Tolliver. Um, I mean, he, you know, he, he tried. Was, he, he did try. The fit was horrendous. He was asked to do things he shouldn't have been asked to do. But even then, he was the only player that probably had it worse than Bazemore as far as, like, having it come together. It was funny. He had one, like, legitimate game, and it was right before he got traded. And he's playing center a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and let's be honest. He was brought in to be the, the, the emergency three-point shooter. Like he was not supposed to be playing. One thing we keep forgetting is that Paul Gasol was supposed to be a real part of this rotation. He was going to play like 18 minutes a night. And what does that tell you about your planning? If <laughs> listen, well, but hey, 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 guys, guys, you guys have to keep in mind Paul Gasol is a future Hall of Famer with championship experience. 38 and, years old, and and he the Blazers tried to get him before, and he just pick, kept paying attention to the program and really liked what he saw from the program, and so he wanted to come this time. It's true. It's all very true. Yeah, what do we give Pal Gasol for this season? A plus. A plus. A plus for securing the bag. For Absolutely. Yeah. Got paid. Got paid. I love Pal. I, I, cover, I covered Pal for two years in Chicago. Pal's awesome. I love Pal. Yeah. A plus. Okay. Um, Gary Trent. This this is the probably the second easiest one outside of Damian Lillard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's an A. Absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely he was fantastic. Unequivocally. He is not only... And this isn't this isn't hyperbole. This is like everybody knew Gary could shoot. Mm-hmm. Dave, you and I had him at, at Hoop Summit two years ago. That's right. And great dude, NBA pedigree, built like a truck, shoots the living lights out. But the question was, can he move laterally? Right. Can he defend at all? Yeah. And last year, the answer was was unequivocally no. This year, just dove headfirst into tape like Scrooge McDuck and, and talking to a couple of the coaches all said it's effort with him. He just goes out there. He just gets it. He's a dog. He right now is the best defender on the Blazers team on the perimeter. I, I don't you know, think anybody's going to question that. It's, it's funny because I've, I've thought to myself uh, at various times this season, you know, if they did move CJ, Gary Trent could probably be, you know, your fifth best starter. Yes. Because he can shoot 40% from three, and he's big enough to hold up against some of the guys he's going to have to guard. He's bigger than CJ. I mean, yeah. He doesn't the, – the one thing that I think holds Gary back is he's not elite-level athleticism at the two, and he's a little short-armed, but he's a barrel-chested ox of a dude. And he has nothing off the dribble. 
Well, that's the thing is he started to show in the the, the guy that I'm, I'm going to liken him to here. It's it, it probably makes a lot of sense for folks who hadn't drawn that line before, but it's Wes Matthews. Same. Well, I was thinking of, Clay Thompson. Well, <laughs> well, okay. Nice. I mean, if, he, if he ever if he ever becomes <laughs> as good as Clay Thompson, the Blazers are in pretty good shape. Yeah. But. No, no, no. I'm saying like, yeah, he reminds me of Wes Matthews, but I'm thinking like the straight line dribble. Right. That's all he needs. Yeah. And that's the thing is he started to show that. And then he, the way he adds things to his game or started to add to his game, they were they were running post ups for Gary. And he was very good in the mid post. It looked very much like what the Blazers did with Wes Matthews in 2014, in the playoffs against James Harden, where they're like, I want to play a game called find James Harden. And we're going to do it with Wes Matthews. And even though he's not the best post player, he's shown the ability to do the same post move over and over again and have guys just not be able to do a damn thing about it. Gary started doing a mid post, like one legged Dirk fadeaway off a little uh, 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 right shoulder bump. And it was just money every single time. You're sitting there like, God dang, that's, that's nice. Then all of a sudden, not only is he working in the catch and shoot, now he's working off flare screens and DHOs where he's making a little bit of decisions. And then they started putting him in a few pick and rolls. And it was like, okay, okay, I can see this. But the big thing is, and this is what got him on the floor in the first place is he's the best damn defender on the team. Like it's on the perimeter. It's not even close. There were times where he was picking the, 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 the top matchup when he's out there, they're closing games with Gary Trent jr. On the floor. Cause he's locking dudes up, whipping balls out of their hand. Here's the other crazy thing. And this is nuts to say about a kid in his second year who only averaged eight points a game. Not only is he their best defender, right now on the active roster, he's their best transition finisher. And those are the two things. I, there's not a chance in hell that I thought were going to be you know, reality by the end of the season. So we're talking about grading Gary Trent Jr. It's an A and it's unequivocal. Like he is tra- the trajectory for him right now is trending up so much that he's He's a not just a viable starter. I think in the next year or two, he's probably going to be a starter on this team. Whew. There's your hot take. I, I don't even think it's a hot like, take. I don't. I don't hate it. I think it. I mean, I think the Wesley Matthews uh, comparison is a good one, but just because of you know the way he's built, and you know just you know just kind of like the he's you know he's he's stocky. He's you know he can stay in front of guys, and you know and, and he can knock down a three. Like I I think that's exactly you know just the archetype of like the kind of guy that I think is a great fit next to, you know, who knows what they end up doing with the CJ Dane pairing, but like a guy that you can put next to Dane long-term and have it be kind of a complimentary uh, fit in the same way that Wesley Matthews was. I think that might be what Gary Trent's future is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last on our list. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm excited for this one. <laughs> and certainly not least, which by the way, we, I, I feel like we're going to go so long on white side that, it, it, it could probably be its you know, own show. You know, we're in, we're in a shutdown. Let's bank this content. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Hassan Whiteside. Okay, controversial figure. Uh, as he is wont to do, uh, Mr. Meringue here uh, talked himself fully into Whiteside. Whiteside is going to buy in <laughs> to Damian Lillard's leadership. Whiteside was going to maybe, maybe be all-star level, Whiteside. Um, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, 16 points a game, 14 rebounds a game, three blocks a game. Um, you know, shot, uh, it had a 62% effective field goal percentage. Not bad. Decent. Decent. Hit 68% of his free throws, which, you know, down from, you know, it's pretty good. Um, ineffective-ish for the first half of the season. Second half, I think he was good. Mm-hmm. I think something clicked. 
And it's, and it's not just effort with him. Sometimes it's, it, you know, sometimes it's just getting him to do the right thing rather than the thing that collects a number. So yeah, I, let's, 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 let's roll this back here. When he's in Sacramento and he's barely hanging on the league, his agent tells him, I need you to get X points, X rebounds, X blocks. That's what's going to make you stay in this league. Some GM is going to see that. That's going to get you paid. And guess what? It worked. And that worked well enough in Miami for a period of time before they're like, okay, we need more than just the box score production. It has to mean something. And with that, it, it can at times, but there are times when it lacked. Like you said, the first half of the season. Hassan is maybe the best shot blocker in the NBA. I, I don't think anybody's going to really argue that. But I think too many people equate shot blocking with defense. And yes, I did talk myself into Hassan Whiteside being enough for this team to be the stopgap until Nurk came back. I've never, and I will never, put Hassan above Nurk. Nurk, Nurk is that dude. I love him. Um, but obviously, it's before all the other injuries. And I look at Hassan, and if we're grading on the, he was he good enough? At 75% of Yusuf Nurkic. That's kind of like, I think, what the locally the, the, the rule is. Like, could you have found for what you traded away and what you were getting out of Mo and Myers, could you have gotten that production from anywhere else? And the answer is no. So in that regard, Hassan was, was good enough. But that takes away from the idea of Hassan Whiteside is now covering up for Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and no Rodney Hood. And now Carmelo Anthony is also in the starting lineup. That's a difficult cover for Yusuf Nurkic, who's one of the better help defender, help bigs in the entire league. Hassan's not that guy. He's a uh, straight line drive at me. I'm going to send your stuff into the eighth row. He's not going to hedge. He's not going to switch. He's not going to help on a, on a pick and roll coverage. He's, it's straight line. So there's two different worlds that we're working in. If you're talking about replacing Yusuf Nurkic for a time period, yeah, he was acceptable. If you're talking about Hassan Whiteside being conducive to team winning basketball consistently on a night in, night out basis, no. Like uh, I think he deserves two grades. And, and like filling in for Yusuf Nurkic, he's a B plus. If you're talking about him being the guy going forward, C minus D plus. I think it's two very very different worlds. Yeah, to me, Whiteside was exactly as advertised. Like, you, 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 you know, you saw what he was in Miami. He puts up great numbers. He has – the thing that was frustrating about Whiteside is he had games where right. he was legitimately really good on the defensive end and impactful and actually making mm -hmm. good rotations and actually playing good help defense. And he won just, them a few games. He did, yes. and, he, and he wasn't just chasing blocks. It was like maybe one out of every three games that that would happen. And it was – he had so much of an impact on whether they won or lost – where, you know, when he had one of those really good white side games where he actually was playing good defense, they usually won. And when he didn't, they usually lost. And you kind of hope that the ratio would maybe be two to one. You knew it wasn't going to be on a totally consistent basis, but it just, he was never really able to put it together on a day-to-day -day basis and just be able to bring that, you know, consistently. And there were times you could just tell that Dame and other guys on the team were pretty frustrated with him and just how, you know, <laughs> he would, you know, he would be talking about kind of his, his numbers and he would be talking about how he sees himself as the best rim protector in the NBA, which like, I mean, it's nice that he feels that way about himself, but like, you know, come on. Like, but so, to, so to me, he was basically as advertised. I don't think I would bring him back next year unless. Like, no, of course. I mean, what, what kind of, if he took backup center money, sure. But that's not going to happen. But some team's going to overpay him. 
Well, the idea, though, well, are they, though? Because, I mean, isn't, isn't 16, there, it 16, 14, and three blocks? Someone's going to look at that. Isn't the coronavirus stuff going to mess with the salary cap, though? Like A little like, bit, but I, I think the legal, they'll come up with a way to flatten it. But um, so, basically, but, you won't get a big increases for the next few years. Well, so over the, over the summer, when they traded for Whiteside, I was not totally against the move because I thought, okay, Nurk is not going to be back until after the All-Star break. Like, that's that's was known over the summer that that was going to be what the case was. So they need somebody who can at least be a stopgap until then. And then hopefully by the all-star break or by the trade deadline, Nurk is back and they'll be able to flip Whiteside for something. Obviously, neither of those things ended up coming to fruition. You know, Nurk was supposed to return right before the season got shut down. And then, uh, and so that was well after the trade deadline. And then there was also, just, there was just no market for Whiteside because, you know, they, and I know they, they called around and they will try like hell to shop him. And it just didn't, they were just not able to get anything back that would have when they were still trying to make the playoffs, if they had been in sell off mode and just trying to tear it down and just, you know, say, okay, we're going to just punt on this season. They probably could have gotten something for Whiteside, and they would have been fine. They would have gotten, you know, some other expiring salary, maybe some young pieces they could have, you know, banked for the future, but they never got to that point where they were thinking about trying to just punt on the season. They were like, until the end, they were thinking about trying to make the playoffs and you know, what they were getting out of Whiteside was going to be more helpful to that end than anything that they would have gotten back in the trade. And the other thing to keep in mind with that was also that once Nurk did come back, he was never going to be playing more than, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a night. And he wasn't going to be playing on back-to-backs after spending almost a whole year out with that leg injury. Mm -hmm. So it made sense to keep Whiteside around for the rest of the season. And, you know, he, for what they got out of him, you know, he was, like I said, he was as advertised. I I give him a C. Like, you know, he, he met, he met expectations, both in good and bad ways. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it was the tale of two white sides. It was white side as usual early on. Clearly, though, there was a difference. I, I think, you know, you got to give him credit for the stuff that he did do. Um, I don't want to just hammer him. So I, I, I give him I actually you know what? I'll, I'll be generous. I'm going to give him a B minus because he did. He actually did win them some games. And, and if you just take that, you have to ignore the contract completely when you're thinking about well he's expiring so i'm not you can't right but you also just when you're judging players too often i think guys are just their contract mm-hmm. like people people put this thing on chris paul chris paul is making 35 million dollars right 35 million dollars obviously he's awful well no because chris paul is still really good maybe he's making too much money okay Kevin but, Love is another one where it seems like his right. contract has become the only thing people talk about with him. Exactly. And you've just you and just like, ignore okay, what Kevin, he does on the court. Kevin Love. Right. And and you know, I feel like you're subtweeting me right now with this Kevin Love stuff. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. I was just talking about in general. <laughs> oh God. No, that's the thing. Like the, the whole idea here, Dave, is that like the, there's like two versions of Hassan Whiteside. That's like the good Hassan Whiteside, he's a B plus. The the one who's not, he's like a D minus. And that's kind of the enigma that is Tassan Whiteside. Yeah. So uh, I think we all agree. Whiteside should be brought back full max. Yep. Just give him the max. Tassan no agrees. Full, full no trade clause. Now, by the way, because you have his bird rights, if we want to get a little bit nerdy on here, because you have his bird rights, if you could get him at an okay number, you could keep him. And then, you know, maybe you do something short term and, and maybe you move them at the deadline if you if you find an opportunity. But uh, I wouldn't write him off completely 
they need five assists. That is an okay number, though. Uh, you know, it's got to be backup center money. So it's got to be like, I don't know, seven million, six say, million. It's the, the MLE. That's that's the number. Yeah. Yeah. So what what was that? Five point seven. Well, the, the, something the like T- that. TP MLE is like five point nine. The full MLE is like nine. Right. So. OK. Um, in, in, in like Portland. TP, by the way, taxpayer MLE, which yes. the Trailblazers are no longer taxpayers. <laughs> no, they are. Wait, I thought they got out of the tax. They didn't get they out. Got of the tax. Very, they got very, very. They're just like they're like they're like two hundred thousand dollars above it. They oh, okay. Got into the last bracket, so gotcha. that's that's the problem. Like, we're, I'll get nerdy real quick. Portland probably needs to bring back Hassan Whiteside, regardless of how you feel about him, because they do not have the means, especially if the CBA yep. hits them hard enough that because they're they're in the twelve to fifteen million dollars with the total room. Hood opts in, that's six and a half million. Hazonia opts in, that's like two point three, two point four, something like that. By so the way, shout out to Mario Hazonia's agent for getting a player option. Player option yeah. on a vet men deal. Shout out. Well guys, hey listen, we're we're going into a whole different show and and maybe we'll just bring you back in a few weeks. Well I'm just gonna say and, and we'll do the mock <laughs> bring back. Portland Trailblazers off season. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Everybody look forward to that one. Uh, Sean, Dan, tell everyone where they can find you. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, you can read my stuff on Bleacher Report, uh, covering the NBA just in general. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hiken, H-I-G-H-K-I-N. So, you know, I've got some cool stuff going on there. So, you know, follow me on there. Uh, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. And, well, when the season comes back on NBC Sports Northwest following every Trailblazers game, uh, if the season does come back. And otherwise, uh, Joe and I should be doing some off-season stuff here pretty soon. And then, uh, obviously, the Blazers Edge podcast at Blazers Edge. And and then hopefully uh, I'll get both of these guys back on here. And, and we'll get a little nerdy and, and go into some of the off-season moves that uh, maybe they should do and maybe stuff that uh, – isn't on anybody's radar. So uh, look forward to that. And uh, as always, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with more from the Rose Garden. Both things play hard. Both things play hard. God bless and good night.